Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It's been wonderful being here this week. The hospitality has been above and beyond many places that I go. Not that it's a competition. Amen. But I, uh, I have so appreciated the warm reception. Your pastor has been, become a good friend even since when I first met him. I, I teased him today. I said, I've been trying to think of something we could pick a fight over. Because if we don't disagree on something, I'm just going to think we're twins that were separated at birth. Amen. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful. I love the spirit of excellence. I love the spirit of hospitality. Your heart uh, for, for uh, something of, of quality here. But, but Pastor told me the first time I met him that we can't have the form without the fire. And so all of those things being proper and in place, we still have a heart for what God pours into the midst of all that. And that's why we're here tonight. If you have your Bible, let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 17. Let me briefly announce that I am uh, hosting a retreat in October called The Summit. Um, an evangelist friend of mine, Brother Robbie Grubbs, and I were talking about how impactful the school of Christ was on us. It was an 87-year-old minister years ago that used to host a three-week school six, seven sessions a day teaching on Christ-centered living, and it was so powerful. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that many celebrity preachers, uh, they, they have to, uh, because the day that we live in, uh, America is so biblically illiterate that you have to have a 12-week series to explain a foundational elemental truth in the kingdom of God. So I don't know about you, but I, I crave the meat of the word of God. And so I was talking to Robbie Grubbs, Evangelist Robbie Grubbs. I said, we should just, we should go get a cabin somewhere and go back through the school of Christ ourselves and pray and have our own spiritual retreat. No politics of a denominational conference, not a church growth strategy session. Everything has its place, but, but just get away for God's word and prayer. And then I begin to hear uh, an echoing sound from pastors across the country of how exhausted they were emotionally, spiritually, wore out. And I thought, but, but what are you going to do about it? And I found a lot, of, a lot of people will go on vacation. They lay on the beach. They'll go to Disney. They'll go wherever they go to, to get some. Well, you don't get rest at Disney. Amen. But they go somewhere to relax. But how many know that's not the same as diving into God's Word and diving into prayer? And so last fall we held our first one and then last week we held our second one and it has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I've actually had pastors that attended that said it saved our ministry. If you would put up that graphic for me. So the next one that we're going to host you are the first one for me to announce this. It's six months advance notice. I think it's October 4th through the 9th. That's a Monday through a Saturday. It's, uh, it's $300, but if you register in the next, in the next month, there's uh, $50 off for early registration. If you're interested at all, it is for men. You don't have to be a pastor, but it is for the serious God pursuers that want to be refreshed and refilled and go deeper in the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for letting me make that announcement, Pastor. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. If you love the Lord, say amen. Man, y'all are gluttons for punishment. You've come for the fourth service in the row. I've I've beaten you up and you came back for more. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. This is the first battle that Israel will fight when they come out of Egypt. Just to catch you up, Israel was in, in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. Moses leads them out. The Red Sea's parted. But how many know that even when you come out of bondage, you still have some battles to fight? And so it says, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Amalek is a descendant of Ishmael. Ishmael was the product of Abraham and Hagar by the arm of the flesh, by the work of their own maneuvering instead of the son of promise, Isaac, that was a product of faith with Sarah. So when you see Amalek, you see something that is a representation of the flesh. How many know it doesn't matter how long you speak in tongues tonight, how many times you fall on the floor, you can't cast out the flesh. Amen. When you get up off the floor, you go to bed, you wake up in the morning, you still got to deal with you. Amen. So it said that even when they came out, they have the picture of being born again, going into the baptism of the Red Sea. They still had a battle to fight. And so it says, then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men, go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God. Somebody shout the rod of God. I'll stand there with the rod of God in my hand. 
You know, I thought in my mind that Moses just lifted up his hands in the wilderness, but he didn't. He lifted up the rod. And he said, so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. They would gain the victory that day and they would call the place Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. Because the lesson we learn from that battle is that as long as God is in his proper place, lifted above everything else in our life, then we can have victory over the flesh and over anything that comes our way. Anybody notice the flag's been at half mass for the last week or so? There was a former vice president that passed away several days ago or last week. You know, the, when things come down to half mass, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a representation of something. But hear me tonight, friend. The banner of Christ in your life ought to never be at half mass. There's never a place where your pursuit of God ought to be in moderation and in balance with something else. He's always number one. Amen? Praise the Lord. Joshua chapter 3. I need you to shout like there's a thousand people in here. Come on. Joshua chapter 3. Yet, this is now after Moses has passed. They're going into the promised land. And uh, God's telling them how they're going to go in. He says in chapter 3 and verse 4, Yet there shall be a space between you and the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. God says, keep your eyes on me. I'm going to take you places you've never been before. How many believe in 2021 that God wants to take his church places we've never been before? How many believe God wants to take Christ Point places you've never been before? Hallelujah. Amen. Pastor showed me his proposal video today right in the middle of a vision service. He said, I'm going where I've never been. I'm getting married. Hallelujah. Amen. God has things in store. Amen. Like we preached the other night, the best is yet to come. So as they go into the promised land, I know you're standing. You'll be seated. I'm going to stand for another 45 minutes to three hours, however it goes tonight. I'll get the award for standing the longest. Just another moment here with me. They go in the promised land. They didn't fight at Jericho. They marched. They walked. Then they shouted. God fought for them. The walls fell down. The first battle they fought was at Ai. Somebody say Ai. And they lost. And let me ask you, what do you do when your mentors were successful and it's your turn to lead and you lose? What do you do when God showed up for generations past, but now you're in the thick of your struggle and it doesn't seem like it's going to work out like that for you? It seems like maybe he would have wanted to go back and get the rod of Moses. But instead, God says in Joshua chapter 8 and verse 18, the Lord said unto Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. And verse 26, for Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear until he utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. It was the rod of God for Moses. It was the spear for Joshua. But God was saying, even beyond your failure I still have more for you too somebody shout there's more Lord speak to us tonight God not theatrics not not dramatic not gimmicks not religious ceremonies, not shallow fluff, but God, we live in a desperate hour and we need the substance of the reality of the gospel, of the help that only the Holy Ghost can bring. Move into this place, God, and minister as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said amen. Amen, you can be seated. I've had the privilege, as I've told you, of traveling all over the U.S. and around the world, ministering in 31 countries, traveling on bypassing through and staying in other countries and and you would think that by now I would be a connoisseur of some things people love to ask me what's your favorite place to visit what's the people really love to ask me what's the worst thing you've ever eaten on the mission field and the truth be told there's not a lot of bad food in the mission field there's really a lot of good food in other countries come on 
It's, a, it's, it's America that has mastered the art of making things at factories and then freezing it and then sending it to a restaurant where they microwave it in the back. You go to Africa, they don't microwave it. They cook it from scratch. It may take an hour and a half, but it is fresh when you eat that. You can't even find... Bread is not supposed to stay good for a month. You get bread in another country, you got to get it from the bakery that day and it's going bad tomorrow. So you just eat it while it's fresh. Amen. You would think that as I travel, I would come become some expert on like I don't know uh, uh, coffee or something we got any coffee connoisseurs in the house yeah what I'm about to say you're going to think is blasphemy I like coffee but uh, I'm not a connoisseur my personal theology of coffee is that good creamer can save bad coffee now, if people that people that really like coffee, now that they say, uh-uh, you need to, you don't need to use creamer. You just need to just slurp it and try to try to taste how it was roasted in Sumatra in the dark and the blonde and the I don't know all that stuff. I just know you put you can go to a truck stop where the coffee was made two days ago, pour you enough French vanilla in there, and it'll be all right. Ha <laughs> ha. Hey, I'm feeling my help right there. I'm not a connoisseur that I don't know a lot about chocolate. We got people that, you know, they got that expensive chocolate in other countries and airports and it's 75% and 89% and cacao or whatever it's in there. And they put, they put crazy stuff in chocolate. Now they put bacon in chocolate and orange peels in chocolate. And I don't, I, I just don't think you can improve on Hershey, Hershey's recipe. I think good old Hershey got it straight from above and it's just regular old milk. I don't know a lot about all that stuff. I like to cook. I wouldn't say I'm a great cook. I do know what good cooking tastes like. Come on, how many say I don't know how to cook it, but I know what good cooking is when I taste it. But I want to tell you, I'm a connoisseur of one thing. It doesn't mean I know how to do it or know anything about it. I don't know anything about sports. I don't know anything about cars. I don't know anything about hunting or fishing. I don't know anything about most of that. But I am a connoisseur, a collector. I love, have always loved good preaching. I told Pastor yesterday, I had a poster of Rod Parsley on my wall when I was 14 years old. I've got 885 books in my bedroom and apartment. I live in a library surrounded by all my best friends. George Whitfield, John Wesley, Smith Wigglesworth. I mean, they're just, they're, they're my company. I love old preachers. I'm sorry if your favorite preacher's alive, but all my favorite preachers are dead. David Wilkerson, come on. A.W. To Tozer puts more in one paragraph than most celebrity preachers could get through in 12 months of series. I mean, I love, it doesn't mean, I, I'm not saying I know how to cook it. I'm just saying I know what it is when I taste it. I have always loved good preaching. People know that about me and they'll give me cassettes. My cousin, I hired him to digitize 500 cassette tapes that I have. I love old sermons. I got a vinyl record of B.H. Clendenin. It still had the plastic on it. That was better than a brick of gold. Now, you want to give me a brick of gold, I'll receive that too. Amen. But that vinyl record, I said, oh, it hurts to peel the plastic, but I want to know what's on it. Had to find me a record player. I played it, and I listened to that man of God preaching the word. I've got old cassettes from long years ago of denominational conferences and general assemblies and general councils, and I can tell you that there is is a common thread woven through many of those messages. Camp meetings, huge, massive movements having their, their annual meetings that you know those preachers fasted and prayed, some of them months in preparation for those messages. Meticulously writing out some of the manuscript, word for word, what they would say. But it seems that inevitably they would get to a certain place of those sermons and I've heard it so many times that it reverberates in my bones that they would get to a certain place in their message and begin to deviate from their notes and their outline and step into a vein of the prophetic and begin to announce there's coming a day. And as they would begin to announce those words, they weren't prophesying many good things. They were saying there's coming a day, amen, when many will fall away. There's coming a day where the church will be tested, whether she'll lift up the banner or whether she'll compromise. There's coming a day, and they would announce what was on the horizon. But I can tell you, friend, that if you go back and listen to those messages, many of the things that they prophesied that the people sitting in those congregations could not have even wrapped their minds around is the very day that we're now living in we're living in those days 
Robert, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know what all those preachers said. Well, I can tell you Paul said it too. He wrote in Timothy, in the last days, in the last days perilous times shall come. And men shall be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, covetous, post, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, heady, high-minded, unruly, rebellious, all of these things that he's enumerating that's going to be a, a token of the last days. And when you think he's talking about some pagan, voodoo-ridden culture, when he gets to the end of this list of a demonic, backslidden people, he says, and these have a form of godliness. These show up on Sunday morning. These still claim religious membership, but deny the power thereof. Not far from here, down in Neosho, Missouri, one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard, Brother Terry Johnson. He pastored up in Goshen, Indiana. I think at the time that he was invited down to preach the, the convocation one year. It was at the beginning of the 80s, and he preached a message called the Church of the 80s. And he preached to that very conservative group of Pentecostals. And he said, there's coming a day where, where up till now, up till now, we've had Leave it to Beaver, Partridge Family, Mayberry, America, where people knew what morality was. Even if they didn't live right, at least they knew what living right was. And if they got saved on Sunday morning, they were at least moral enough, you could probably put them in the choir Sunday night. That if they got right with God and prayed through, you could give them an offering bag and trust them to be ethical about finances because they already knew what it was. He said, but there's coming a day they're going to walk through our doors and we won't know what teachings they've had. Transcendental meditation and, and all kinds of therapy that the world has lied and told them that other lifestyles were fine. They're going to come through our doors. We won't know how many narcotics have been in their veins. They're going to come through our doors. We won't know how many abortion clinics they visited, how many partners they've been in with, how many marriages that have, followed, have had shipwreck. We won't know all the lifestyles. He said, and we can either lock our doors and say we want to keep ourselves safe from the influence of that world. He said, or we can say, God, prepare us for the days that are to come. They said that night people hit that altar. And they wept and cried out. Pastors wept in that altar. Oh, God, prepare us for the days that are to come. Till they went for the morning service the next morning. And when people showed up for the morning service, there were still pastors in the altar saying, God, prepare us for the days that are to come. We're in that day, friend. I said we're in that day. Well, let me just take a census real quick. How many know somebody that's addicted to a, to a substance? Anybody in here? Alcoholic, drugs. Uh, painkillers, addicted, addicted. How many know somebody locked up? Anybody? Anybody? It's common. We're living in a different day and a different hour. And I, as I mentioned the other night, as our sister was shouting and the power of God was touching her and she's spinning over here, I, I, it just took me back to that story my granddaddy told me. And when I was younger, a thousand times I would tell the Lord, God, I think you made a mistake. I wish I could have been born with my grandfather. I've read the, the accounts of the great revivals and Lord, maybe, maybe I was born too late. If I could get in a time machine, I would have loved to have been at the Azusa Street Revival. I would have loved to have been in those great outpourings. God, maybe you made a mistake and the Lord rebuked me and said, I don't make mistakes. See, if you're here tonight and, and you were born a boy, then hear me. God didn't make a mistake. He wants you to stay a boy and a man the rest of your life. And if you were born a girl, God didn't make no mistakes. He's proud of you. Amen. You're his daughter. He loves you. You're his warrior princess. Amen. He didn't make a mistake. Hallelujah. There may be a spirit that's caused you confusion. We're not mad at you if you're struggling with anything. Amen. But hear it. God didn't make a mistake. And if you were born white... God didn't make a mistake. And if you were born African American, God didn't make a mistake. And if you were born Carmel, you came from some Hispanic country, oh, you're probably real good looking and God didn't make no mistake. Hey, if you're born in a family where they mix some chocolate and vanilla together, you probably got the best hair and the best skin and the best eyes. Amen. And God didn't make a mistake giving you a black mama and a, a black daddy, a white mama, whatever. He didn't make a mistake. Oh, friend, and he didn't make a mistake putting us in 2021. I said he didn't make a mistake putting us in 2021. 
If you can imagine God mapping out time on the table of time and he's prepared in advance. In my own imagination, I can see God planning and saying, I'm going to start with Adam and Eve. He could have pulled out of the cluster of souls and put anybody in the beginning. But he said, we'll start with Adam and Eve and you're going to break it, but Jesus is going to fix it. And I put an Enoch here and a Noah here. I put an Abraham here to start a family, a Joseph to preserve the family, a Moses to deliver the people. I'll put a Joshua to lead them in. I'll put judges and prophets and, and kings. And I'll put David and Solomon. I need an Elijah. And then right on time after him, I need an Elisha. Jesus, in the fullness of time, we're going to put you in the center of everything. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Those secular professors have rewritten their history textbooks and changed B.C. from before Christ to B.C.E., meaning before the common era, and A.A.C. after the common era. Friend, you can change the letter to whatever you want as long as you don't change the numbers you're going to find that when you count back to zero amen it's not Buddha in the centerpiece of history it's not Muhammad in the centerpiece of history but in the fullness of time in the center of time right on time God sent Jesus and then he had the disciples he chose amen and then he had Paul that thought he was late but he was on time and then he had all the early church fathers and then he had the reformers Martin Luther and he had the revivalist John Wesley Charles Finney and then all the way in the end I can see God looking into the darkest times, the most drug addicted times, the most mental anxiety and depression ridden, suicidal battling times, most alcoholic times, the place that would maybe be the hardest to keep marriages together, the time that may be the hardest to survive going to a public school, the time that may be the hardest to actually pastor a church with faith and victory. And God said, who can I put in the last days? Because my Bible says, there is no temptation taking you but what is common to man. But God is faithful that in every temptation he will make a way of escape. That he will not suffer you to be tempted, listen to it, above that which you are able to bear. That means this right here. You've never faced a temptation that God has not already judged that you can take it and overcome it. That means if he didn't put Jeremiah in 2021 as a junior in the local high school, it may just mean I'm not meaning anything bad about the prophet Jeremiah, but he lived there and you live here. And that means maybe he couldn't take it. But if you're here now, that means that you can. That means God believes in you. Did you know that? God didn't trust you with Andy Griffith Mayberry. God didn't trust you with some easier generation where the economy might have been better or where everybody was getting along. He put you in a racially divided and a political crisis. He put you in a cauldron of religious upheaval where they're going to persecute the church. They're going to cancel us. They're going to call us prejudiced and bigoted. They're going to call the gospel hate speech. And he said, who can take it? Who can live in those days? Who can survive? Who can keep their marriage intact? Who can raise godly children filled with the Holy Ghost? Oh, I know who I can send. Who can pastor in that day? Oh, a thousand times I wish Billy Graham was still alive. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was here to deal with America's crisis. Amen. But they ran their race. They finished their course. And God in all his sovereignty said, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. I'll trust you. I'll put you there. And you can take it. And you can overcome. Oh, what a good God to believe that he's got it for us. In his old age, he is not weak. He is eternally strong and able to do now what he has always done. I asked you the other night, anybody ever been saved? You said yes. Anybody in here saved? Yes. Is he done saving? No. That means there's more that ought to be saved. Somebody shout, there's more. Anybody in here healed? You raised hands all over the room. If he's not done healing, that means there's more that can be healed, should be healed, and, and healing power in God that, that ought to be healed. Amen. That means there's more healing to be poured out, more deliverance to be poured out, more Holy Ghost baptisms to be poured out. Anybody glad that if every other business in town shut down, if Apple and Pepsi and Coke shut down, if Disney goes out of business, the saving salvation power of God is still not shut down. Hallelujah. America may go crazy and put everything on lockdown, but God is still saving. It's not on lockdown. Healing's not on lockdown. Thank God revivals. I'm going to preach like y'all are shouting your shoes off tonight. Revivals not on lockdown. There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. 
Dick Brogdon's the leader of the Live Dead movement, sending missionaries to countries where people may not return from alive. He lives in Cairo, Egypt, and is trying to get a resident visa to live in Saudi Arabia. He preached at the centennial of the Assemblies of God and said all of Pentecostal doctrine could be boiled down to one word, more, more. Are you saved? There's more. Are you lost? There's more than being lost. Find Jesus. But once you find him, don't stop. There's more in that relationship. Amen. You get sanctified and get closer. He delivers you from bondage. There's more than that. You get filled with the Holy Ghost. You talk in tongues. Hear me, friend. There's more than that. Talking in tongues is the shallow end of the pool. Amen. There's walking in the Spirit. There's being led by the Spirit. Amen. There's fruits of the Spirit. There's, there's ministry graces of the Spirit. There's gifts of the Spirit. There's more. There's more. There's more. On Tuesday night at Revival, when others were wore out, you showed up because you thought God may not be done with me. Maybe, just maybe, God has something on the menu for my life. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. The server took your plate. Hallelujah. But you got a hold of the fork and said, I'm ordering dessert. There might be more. Hallelujah. I'm coming to that last service because God's not done yet. I need you to hear me tonight. God's not done with you. Some of you have run from conviction. You've said, I don't even believe all of this. Somebody drugged me here. I'm just fitting in with this community for, for the time being. Oh, but God says, I'm not done with you. I've got more. And some of you have been in this thing so long, you've seen them run the backs of pews and swing from chandeliers and throw songbooks and beat tambourines till the timbrels roll all over the floor. Amen. God's got more for you too. I said, God's got more for you too. Moses, 80 years old, has an encounter with God at the burning bush. And God starts speaking to him. And God says, I've got more, Moses. I'm going to do more for my people. I'm going to do more than them just serving me in chains and bondage. And I can see Moses just in agreeing and saying, well, that's wonderful, God. Go do it. But point number one is, God says, the more that I have is right here, Moses. There's more here than what you know. Are you tracking with me tonight? Look this way. Unless you're taking the most meticulous notes I've ever seen anybody take in your entire life. Hallelujah. Look this way. There's more here than what you know. God said, Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Well, it's a, it's a stick. It's, it's my staff. Anybody ever been hiking and find a good walking stick? I ain't talking about that thing you bought down at the souvenir store before you started your hike. That's cheating. You ever find one in the woods and you break those extra branches off? Amen. It starts helping you up. Keeps you from twisting your ankle. You hike with that thing for a few hours. You become best friends with that thing. Amen. You spend the night on the trail, make camp, and somebody reaches for it because they're looking for firewood. You're ready to burn their North Face $200 hiking boots before they touch you. Get your hand off my walking stick. Man, you hike for a few days with that thing. You want to take it home and put it in a shadow box in the foyer of your house. That's my friend. That's my walking stick. I don't know how long Moses had it, but he was a shepherd. He needed a staff. Well, well there's some bite marks where the, the sheep tried to get at me. Sometimes you're a pastor. Your sheep will try to bite you. Hey, man, there's, there's a spot where I hit, a, I hit a wolf right over the head. He was coming for one of my lambs. Well, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a dead pe I don't know if it's poplar or aspen. I don't know if it's an evergreen or oak or pine. I don't know. what. It's just a dead piece of wood. Why are you asking me what I got in my hand? God said, give it to me. You want this, God? This piece of dead nothing, you want this? It's not much, God, but I'm a shepherd, and a shepherd's got to have a business card. And it's, it's, this, is my, this is what lets people know when they see me at a distance. Oh, he's a shepherd. He's got a shepherd. This is me. This is my job. It's my identity. It's been, they, you know, they've actually found, archaeologists have found ancient shepherd's rods, even men who were illiterate, that because of countless hours they had sitting on hillsides and watching over their sheep, would carve in spiral formation the story of their life. Some of them would pass it down from generation to generation, and you could see a family tree carved into that rock. I didn't say Moses did that, but it could have been really cool if he did. And something of his life is represented in that little dead piece of wood picked up off the side of a walking path one day, and God said, I want it. And so he gave it to God. 
And as soon as he let it out of his hand, it went from being the rod of Moses to being the rod of God. And God was teaching him, I've got more right here than what you thought was here. He didn't give him some mythological task. You know, if this was some Greek mythology, he would have said, climb Mount Olympus, get a lightning rod from, from Zeus. That's not what the Bible said. Amen. He didn't say, go and get some blacksmith to make you a rod out of gold and crusted with jewels. He had already seen the scepter of Pharaoh. He grew up in Pharaoh's court. He knew what a rod of authority and government looked like. But this is just a dead piece of wood, God. God said, I want it. Because I'm going to use it for more. And it went from the natural to the supernatural. You know what you need to hear tonight? I sent a little post to pastor today. A church I preached for in Sarnia, Ontario. Across the border from Detroit, Michigan. Years ago they had an evangelist come for four days. That's how long I've been here. Four days. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Well, three days except for I landed on Saturday. Four services. Let's say it that way. That evangelist stayed for four days. And God broke out. And even though the evangelists left, they went on in revival for the following 20 weeks. For 20 weeks, hundreds of people came in and got saved and healed and delivered. And it didn't come out of an evangelist suitcase. And it didn't come at the expense of anybody's plane ticket and hotel bill. And nobody was trying to take somebody to the good restaurant in town and show hospitality. They were showing hospitality to the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost said, I can move here because I don't need somebody to fly in from Orlando. I've got somebody right here. There's somebody under the sound of my voice that says, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a singer. Friend, you might feel like a bruise, a man, piece of dead wood on the side of the road. But God said, if you'll give me what you got, I'll take it from the natural to the supernatural. And there will be more here than what you know. There's more right here than what you know. I wonder, I wonder who we got here tonight. I wonder who's in the house with us tonight. Well, we got, we got some, some awesome people over here. Y'all having a party over here. Bud, what's your name? Carson, stand up for me, Carson. Carson, what's your last name? McDonald, stand up for me. Anybody know Carson McDonald? Put your hands down. Y'all don't know. Y'all don't know him. How old are you? Y'all know eight-year-old Carson McDonald. Did y'all know we had Senator Carson McDonald in the house tonight? Somebody chuckled. That's because you thought I was exaggerating. You don't know who this is. You don't know that there's more here than you could imagine. Hallelujah. You didn't know that we had best-selling author Carson McDonald in the house tonight? Amen. If you don't see it like that, get out of the nursery, get out of children's church, get out of youth ministry. We don't need you to rock a baby and put on a VeggieTale movie. We need somebody to say, oh God, there's more here than what we know. Moses said, I'm just a shepherd running for my life, hiding out with anxiety that they're going to find me, catch up with me, and, and execute justice from the murder 40 years ago. And God said, give me what you got, Moses. It was just a stick. You know what this is? Just a stick. But you know what I believe? That the darker the days that are ahead, the more God has allocated the best that he has ever used. I said the darker the days are ahead, the more God has already, he, he has already accounted for what is needed in the generation to come. You know what that means? It means the greatest songwriters, the greatest worshipers, and the greatest preachers may have never even held this microphone. Carson, I don't know if you held a microphone before. Hallelujah. But maybe just, it's just a stick, God. But Lord, would you be willing to put a stick in the hand of some young people and a call in their life? Maybe he'll strum a guitar. Maybe he'll just hold the stick of a drum. I don't know what God's got for Carson, but I know there's more here than what you can see and what you can imagine. Hallelujah. Thank you, man of God. Carson, look at me. I'm proud of you. I honor you. Amen. Go back to coloring if you want to. Praise the Lord. But there's more there than what you can see. And there's more sitting in your seat than what you can see. I said there's more here. You know why pastor pulls for an offering? Because he knows the money is not coming from some rich banker down the road, from some oil tycoon, from somebody that won the lottery. He knows all the resources God has for this church. It's already in the room. Glory to God. Everything God needs. We need revival, Brother Robert. The intercessors are already here. They just haven't given what they've got to God. Hallelujah. 
They keep on taking sleep medication instead of allowing that Holy Ghost to wake them up at 2 in the morning. Get out of the bed and lay in the floor and say, God, I ain't got a preaching ministry. I ain't got a singing ministry. No, but you might have a praying ministry, baby. Get out and give what you've got to God. There's more here than what you know. I was preaching in uh, Lorraine, Ohio. My friend Matt Wilson came to visit me. I love this story. It's just so good. Matt, when his first son was born, he decorated the room in Cincinnati Reds memorabilia. He's a youth pastor and a 7th, 8th grade social studies teacher at a middle school in, in, in Hamilton, Ohio. And so he put all kind of old school baseball stuff in his, in his, in his son's room. Painted one, one wall scoreboard green and had an old map of Cincinnati. He, he roughed up some baseballs and made them look like they were old. But he was looking for antique baseball bats. Well, the real ones on, on eBay are expensive. He came up to visit me four hours north off the banks of Lake Erie up there in Lorraine for that youth camp. He said, I found a guy online that sells antique fabricated looking old baseball bats. I'm going to go see if he'll sell some to me. So he goes, he leaves, he comes back that night for the evening service. He said, I'll tell you after service what happened. It was awesome. So he tells me after service that he went to this guy's house and the guy shows him into his workshop and garage area, this almost uh, small warehouse style area. And he said, I'm talking to this man in his late 60s. And he said, the man's showing me around all the furniture that he's made, all the carvings, all the craftsmanship. And he said, I was amazed. And I said, sir, you made all this? And the man said, yeah, I, I, made, I made all this. I enjoy working with wood. I made this. And he said, wow, you must have been working with wood your whole life. You were a master craftsman. And the man just told him his story. He said, no, I grew up in this little town. This is a factory town. He said, no, I worked at the factory till I was about 50 years old. And they shut it down and they fired me. And I just started working with wood and turned out I was pretty good at it. And I sell some of it. It helps me pay the bills. So they talked about that for a while. And then, then Matt, he looked up on the wall and he said there was all these paintings hung up. He said, I started admiring this man's paintings and I said, wow, you have a wonderful collection of artwork. And the man said, I didn't collect those. I painted those. He said, sir, that is, he said, I teach social studies. I teach students about art. I see the different mediums. I see the different styles. I see what you've done here. He said, you must have been a lover of art your whole life. You must have started young. And the man said, no, son, I didn't have no time for art or painting. I, I worked at the factory since I was young. And, and then I turned around 50 and they, they closed down and fired me and I had free time. I tried my hand at painting and turns out I'm pretty good at it. And I even sell some sometimes. Helps me pay the bills. So they talked about that for a while. Matt said, I went over to a shelf and there was all these baseball trophies. He said, I didn't mean to offend the man, but they were new trophies. They weren't old. So I said, are these your grandsons? And the man said, no, those are mine. He said, I didn't mean to offend him, but I said, did you used to play baseball? And the man said, no, I play baseball. He said, I didn't mean to offend him, but I said, uh, you mean like church league, underhand, softball, slow pitch, kind of something, something. He said, the man's in his 60s. He said, no, son, I play fast pitch baseball, and I'm one of the best on my team and in our league. That's why I got the trophies. He said, man, to be that agile and athletic, you must have been playing this your whole life. He said, you ain't been listening to me. I didn't have time for baseball and recreation. I got hired at the factory when I was young. I worked there my whole life. They closed when I was 50. They fired me. I had some free time. I got on one of those teams. Turns out I'm pretty good at the sport. That's why I get the trophies. Matt's telling me this story, and I'm feeling the preach coming up inside of me. Because if you've ever been to the Rust Belt, that is that northeastern part of the United States, Ohio, Pennsylvania, where there were factory towns, companies would go into towns and they would build cookie-cutter little houses before the factory workers moved in. And they would build a grocery store, a general store. Then they would build the factory. And when you got hired, you could actually get groceries on credit from your paycheck because you were part of the union and you worked at the factory. And people did go to elementary school and middle school and high school. But as soon as you were old enough to 
to join the union, you dropped out of school and you started working at the factory. And in those towns, grandpa worked at the factory and daddy worked at the factory. And you're just hoping that they'd give room for you and you could get out of school and go get your job. And I don't know when this boy got a hold of when he was hired. Amen. But the first day, I'm sure they gave him his uniform and they gave him some factory shoes. And he got to his position on the assembly line and they said, you pull this lever and we're going to pay you at the end of the week. And he started pulling the lever and he went home happy with a paycheck. And he went to his factory grocery store and he went to his factory corner store and he lived in his factory house in his factory town and he got his factory lunchbox and he went to his factory job and he pulled his factory lever and every morning he's tying his factory shoes. Come on women, you know what I'm talking about. Shoes have a t- shoes have a language, don't they? Men, you don't know what I'm talking about. Women, you know shoes will talk to you. Well, boys, you do know. You remember you remember third grade back to school shopping, you got new shoes. You knew you could run faster in those shoes. Amen. You get a new job, you're going to be a nurse. You say, man, I'm going to make more money in these shoes. But women, they got a whole, whole language for shoes. Amen. Shoes will talk to you. He's tying those shoes every day. I'm a factory worker. I live in a factory town. These are my factory shoes. And he lived that way his whole life. And he must have thought some days, I'm not really an athlete. I'm just a factory worker. And I would like to see something about art, but I'm not an artist. I'm a factory worker. And I'd like to be interested in some craftsmanship, but I'm not a craftsman. I'm just a factory worker. And the best news that ever came to that man's life is when somebody looked at him and said, we're shutting down the factory. You're fired. I'm sure he wasn't happy that day. Oh, but what he discovered was there was a whole lot more inside of him. He never, the man lived for half a century, 50 years, saying I can't do that and I won't do that and I'll never be that. I'm just this. This is who I, you ever scolded a child and they're looking down the whole time? You're just trying to talk to them and they're looking down. I can see God talking to Moses at the burning bush and saying, I'm trying to talk to you about being a deliverer and that there's more. And God, I want to use you. And Moses is looking down at his feet saying, I got on my shepherd's shoes. and I've just been a shepherd. I've been walking up and down hills in these little sandals. I'm just a shepherd. Look, I laced up my sandals this morning because I'm just a shepherd. And I can hear God saying, take your shoes off, Moses. Because you're getting fired from being a shepherd. Hallelujah. You're going to put them back on in a minute, but when you put them back on, they won't be shepherd shoes. They'll be deliverer shoes. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know what you felt when you laced up your shoes tonight. Maybe they're the same shoes you wore to work. Oh, but friend, you're wearing more than nursing shoes, Brother Bo. You're wearing more than just church shoes. You're walking in the shoes of more. God brought more to this church tonight, and the person wearing your shoes is the one that God wants to use. There's more here than what you know. Where is it at? It's in your shoes. It's in the shoes you got on right now. Who's that? That's you. Amen. And if you look at them and say, well, I got these at Payless for $19.99. These are just regular shoes. Oh, friend, don't let them shoes lie to you. You break out of that lie. I am more than a paycheck. I am more than just getting groceries and paying the bills. God did not bring me into this church just to sit by. There is more here. Somebody prophesy to yourself. Just poke yourself in the chest and say, there's more here. There's more here. There's more here. Glory to God. We always we all know about the greatness of Moses. But this is what I really want to tell you. And it won't take me long that there's more ahead than what you can imagine. It's easy as a child to have dreams, have visions, have excitement about what you want to do one day. Get saved. We all have grace for our past failings up to salvation. But what about the failings you've had since you've been saved? that come to you and try to cancel your dream, your calling, your assignment. Joshua knew how to fight while Moses held the rod up on the mountain. But now Moses is gone, and it's Joshua's turn. And he obeyed God in marching, and he obeyed God in shouting, but now it's time to fight his first battle, and he fails. I wish I was preaching to some honest people tonight. I'm telling you, my favorite place to preach is prisons because the people don't come in church clothes. They come in their orange jumpsuits and ain't nobody trying to play church and pretend like they don't need the help and that God ain't talking to them. Amen. Everybody in there saying, give it to me, preacher. That one's for me. I'm taking this one for me. Oh, nobody's saying this service is for her or for him. Everybody's saying it's for I think some Sunday we ought to just pass out orange jumpsuits at the door and say we all belonged in the penitentiary of sin. Oh, we all needed grace and mercy. 
We all needed the blood of Jesus. I'm talking to people that have tried something for God and failed. What do you do when somebody says there's more and you try to step out in it and fall flat on your face? Ooh, I'm glad he's preaching to that other person here. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. When you raise your kids, and some of them didn't turn out the way you thought they would. And the devil says, you didn't. You messed up so bad. You just, you'd just be better off if you just died and went on. The devil's a liar. If you're still breathing, there's more for you. I said, if you're still breathing, there's more for you. He failed. He could have easily said, God, take me back. Bring Moses back. When Saul could no longer hear from God, he went to a witch at Endor and said, conjure for me the spirit of Samuel. Because the only way I could ever connect with God was through that prophet and now he's dead. Can I tell you, I've been in plenty of Pentecostal churches, plenty of Pentecostal churches, that if they would actually say out loud what they're trying to do, they're trying to conjure a move of God from 1952. I'm glad we sang some old songs. I love the old songs. I've quoted them in almost every sermon. He set me free. I'll fly away. Victory in Jesus. I love all of them. But you know that standing on holy ground song that we sang? People remember that from an old sanctuary they used to be in. Do you know when that song was written? Jaron Davis's father was pastor in a church, I believe in Tennessee, and they were moving into a new sanctuary. And on the dedication of the new sanctuary, when they moved in the night before, he said, Jaron, why don't you write us a song for our new sanctuary? Jaron Davis, I think, was something like 18, 19 years old. And he got down on the Saturday before Sunday morning and wrote, we are standing on holy ground. That didn't come from an old wood paneling church. That didn't come from some old backwoods church memory, relic, legacy that came from stepping into the newness of the more of God. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm thankful for God how moved, how God moved in days gone by. I love my heritage. I love, I'm sixth generation Pentecostal. My great grandma went to a camp meeting with her grandma and the, the family's been saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Uncles and great aunts, preachers called. Man, we have, we have camp meeting every time we have family reunion. I love what God did for those generations. But what about now? Hear me, I refuse to go to God in some demonic seance and say, God, would you raise Billy Graham for the dead? Would you raise Dr. Martin Luther King from the dead? Would you raise George Whitfield, John Wesley, Smith Wigglesworth? No, no, no. God said, I didn't make no mistakes. I put them there and I put you here. And I knew you'd mess up, but I already paid the price for you on the cross. And I said, I can still restore your home. And I can still use your children. And I can still pull them out. I can still anoint. I can still pour out my spirit. There's more ahead than what you could imagine. You know, they took one of the rods of Moses that he put that brazen serpent around. And years later, they put it in the temple and they worshipped it like an idol. And they called it Nehushtan. Help me, Pastor Sean. Bring up whoever you want, want to help you. Nehushtan. They worshipped the rod of Moses like an idol. Because they thought the God of more is behind us. Until the days of Josiah. And he said, no, the God of more is right now. And he broke the rod of Moses and said, we're not going to worship the God of yesterday. We're not going to worship the God of yesterday. How many believe Tuesday night God wants to do more than he did Sunday and Monday? No, 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 no. That was, that was a good golf clap if I was Tiger Woods and it was a good golf swing. I'm talking about for you. That God has more for you. Amen. That God could do more in 2021 than he did in the greatest days of the history of this church. There's more ahead than what you can imagine. How do we step into it, Brother Robert? Let me show you real quick and then we're going to pray. From the word bound, we get two words. From the word bound, we get the word bondage. Bondage could be chains, shackles, prison cells, you're in bondage. You're bound to something that will not loose you and let you go. But Christ came and he broke the chains and he broke the shackles and he opened the prisons to them that were bound. But hear me, there's another word that we get from the word bound. Anybody know where I'm going? It's the word boundary. Listen to me tonight. You don't have to be wearing chains. You don't have to have a, an addiction to a secret sin. 
You can simply say, I'm free. But you never took two steps out of your prison cell. I mean, the doors open and the chains fell off and you said, thank God I'm saved. And you worshiped the same way in 2021 you worshiped in 2012. You have the same river of God flowing through your life you had 10 years ago. You're comfortable coming so far with God. And when you get to a certain place, then you stop. And that's your boundary. And you don't have the bondage that you had when you were in sin. But you have the bondage of being bound by your own limitation. This is how God can use me. And this is how we let God move in our church. And this is the way God moves for us. Oh, would you take those shoes off and say, God, maybe, just maybe. You want to say to somebody in this church, the factory of your dead religion is closed for business. Your position of going through the motions and ceremony is no longer needed. Oh, I'm not trying to just preach to you. I'm trying to prophesy to somebody. Go ahead and help me prophesy. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you're fired. Come on, don't be cute. Don't be cute. Get anointed. Look at your neighbor and say, you're fired. Oh, but Brother Robert, this is where I park and this is where I sit and this is how I hold my hand at the appropriate sanctified angle. And if there's any Pharisee here and any deacon, they'd give me a good report on my report card because I worship the right way and my kids are well behaved and we do everything just right at this church and I give the right amount and I worship the right amount. Friend, we don't need that anymore. That factory of going through the motions is shut down. You're fired. Anybody worth mentioning in that book? It's somebody that crossed a boundary. Nobody ever killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. But Samson said, maybe if I cross from what's known into the unknown, God could use me to do something that's never been done. Nobody ever told the sun to stand still. But Joshua said, God, if you gave us a few more hours of daylight, we could whoop the enemy. God said, I've been waiting for somebody to cross that boundary. Right there in the valley of Aijalon, the sun stood still because somebody crossed the boundary. What's your boundary? What's your boundary? Robert, I don't even like the way you're screaming at me. That makes me a little uncomfortable. I know my preaching is on the other side of your boundary. That's okay. Amen. I didn't come to keep you in your comfort zone. I came to rip you up out of that thing and say, we're going beyond the known. We're going beyond the safety zone. We're going beyond the comfort zone. Amen. I'm going to come to the altar and pray the way I prayed last night. I hope you don't. I hope you prayed like you never prayed. I hope you get so hungry. You say, God, I don't want yeah, last year's blessing. I don't want the blessing I used to get at youth camp. God, God, we're living in dark days and there has to be more. Stand with me to your feet all over the house if you would please. God knows just exactly what we need. And if he has allocated more for these last days, then choosing to live in less is a death warrant on what we're, what we're experiencing. I need you to hear me tonight. More is not optional. Somebody please say amen. I said more is not optional. Living with less may allow you to think that you're in a place of survival. I'm so traumatized. I'm so anxiety ridden. I'm just trying to survive. God didn't call you to live in survival mode. It's dangerous to go into the land of more. But it is not optional. God does not give in excess. He gives exactly what is needed. And if he's pouring out more of his spirit, it's because we're going to need more of his spirit. I wish I could prophesy that the easiest days in America are coming in the next three months, but I don't have that prophetic word. What I do have is that God has more for you and it may be because you're going to face a bigger giant, you're going to come against another army, oh but friend his more is going to conquer that giant his more is going to overcome that obstacle if you get filled with the more of God tonight you'll be able to say like David by my God I'll run through a troop and leap up over a wall I don't have to cower in survival he's a God of more and he's going to use me, there's more here than what I know 
I don't really care if you got an athlete's foot or not. I don't care if you got some, some itch powder you put on your feet or not. I don't care if your feet stink to high heaven. If the Holy Ghost is telling you, you are fired from what you've been living in and the shoes you've been walking in are lying to you, I wish somebody would kick them off and come to walk into this altar and say, Lord, I'm going to cross the boundary. I'm going to step into the more that you have for me. Come on. If you believe there's more for you, come. If you believe there's more for you, come.